Welcome to the Right Take Podcast, news, ideas, and conversations at the intersection of politics and culture, a project of the David Horowitz Freedom Center. I will be your host, Mark Tapson. Welcome, welcome again to the intersection of politics and culture here at the Right Take Podcast. I am your host, Mark Tapson. And in a sense, today I am also the guest because I'm going to do a solo episode. I thought I would talk a bit about a couple of things I've been writing about and thinking about, which I think are related. One is this sense that we in the United States and the Western world, more generally speaking, are facing what I would call a civilizational collapse, which sounds kind of melodramatic and overblown. But hey, we live in strange, unsettled times, don't we? Especially beginning with the pandemic. It feels as if the ground has shifted underneath our feet and is continuing to shift beneath our feet, like a perpetual low-grade earthquake. Nothing is settled anymore or certain or normal, and it doesn't even feel like we'll ever be able to recover that sense of normality that we once occupied. Trust, for example, in all of our institutions and authorities from the White House all the way down to our local physicians has been shattered trust in our electoral process shattered. Not to mention that we're on the cusp of World War III, which is a whole other topic. Our Judeo-Christian morality, the nuclear family, capitalism, patriotism, everything normal and traditional in the United States has been under violent assault in recent years from the religious fundamentalists of wokeness. And it just seems to be accelerating out of control. We can't even agree anymore on the nature of reality. Our society is in the process of embracing the biological incoherence of gender ideology, whereby we are told that masculine and feminine have no meaning anymore. Our cultural elites are either unable, or more truthfully, they are unwilling to define what a woman is. Reason and rationality themselves are being rejected as the oppressive tools of something called whiteness, And we're told that there are, quote, other ways of knowing, unquote, that are just as valid as reason and rationality. Our med schools now are embracing medical equity, and our law schools are populated by social justice fanatics who don't give a fig about the Constitution or the rule of law. I think you can see that in the recent example of the federal judge who was invited to speak at Stanford Law School recently, one of the most prestigious law schools in the United States. And he never even managed to deliver one sentence of his prepared remarks because he was shouted down by hundreds of protesting students who refused to let him speak. Stanford's dean of equity and inclusion and blah, blah, blah herself sided with the protesters and lectured the judge about the harm that he and his judicial decisions had brought to the woke community. It was an absolutely disgusting display of mob rule among students who very shortly are going to go on to occupy positions of legal and judicial power in our country. As another example, did you ever think that you would see a time when something called Drag Queen Story Hour would be proliferating in libraries all over the country? And these drag queens, they're not the drag queens of yesteryear. They're not cross-dressers like Jack Lemmon and Tony Curtis in the movie Some Like It Hot. They're not the cross-dressers like British comedian Benny Hill or Dustin Hoffman in Tootsie. Today's drag queens go beyond even dressing like exaggerated parodies of women. They now look like, and I say this in all seriousness, demons from hell. 
Have you seen some of these freakish monsters? It's impossible to look at them and not think that something demonic is at work there. Anyway, this elevation of drag queens and transgender TikTok stars in our culture is a sure sign of a spiritual sickness in our civilization. If you look at the chaos and the instability today, not only in America, but in Western civilization generally speaking, and by which I mean, of course, Canada, Australia, Europe, the civilization that used to be known as Christendom, it's hard not to believe that we are facing a civilization in decline, a civilization with just no more wind in its sails, a civilizational collapse, in other words. And the other topic that I want to address has to do with an article that I recently wrote on my Substack page, Culture Warrior, an article called Welcome Christians to the Negative World, an article in which I talk about how wokeness has become the reigning religion of our cultural elites and that Christians are being increasingly marginalized and demonized as threats to that new religion. It's an article that a lot of people seem to want to talk about because I've done quite a few media appearances about it, and I think it bears directly on this civilizational collapse that I mentioned. Let me begin with the big picture, the biggest possible picture, the metaphysical picture about this civilizational collapse that we're facing. I believe I've told this story before on the podcast how many years ago the Russian dissident Alexander Solzhenitsyn said that all of the horrors that had been perpetuated in his country after the 1917 Russian Revolution were because man had forgotten God. And I would say that what we are witnessing today in the United States and in the Western world generally is the result of man trying to replace God. Christianity has been in decline throughout the West for many years now. And when traditional faith declines in a culture or a nation or a civilization, political religions and a religion of the self will fill that void. And that's what's happening to us today. As a culture, we have tragically rejected the true, the good, and the beautiful, all of which lead us upward and outward toward God, and we have substituted the false, the evil, and the ugly. Marxism, which is what lies at the heart of wokeness, makes a god of mankind and aims to make heaven on earth in the form of a collectivist utopia. And as I often say, human-centered utopian dreams always, always, always end in dystopian nightmares of widespread misery and death. And that is where we are headed, folks. With the rise of wokeness, we're in the grip of an accelerated far-left agenda to burn to the ground everything that came before, all our traditions and values, our history and our heroes, our churches and our families, everything, and to build utopia on its ashes. I'll give you an example of just how dystopian things are looking. Do you know what transhumanism is? Transhumanism is the, the obsession of these globalist elites that are gradually steering us toward a future of their own design. A favorite of those elites is philosopher Yuval Noah Harari, who is the best-selling author of the book Homo Deus, who writes about this next level of human evolution called transhumanism. He states that human beings are essentially just algorithms and that biotechnology is literally going to upgrade us from humans into gods. They're going to turn Homo sapiens into Homo Deus. Deus, of course, being the Latin word for God. In other words, as this, just as the serpent told Eve in the Garden of Eden, 
eat this fruit, and ye shall be as gods. Of course, it's these elites who will be the new gods, and, and the masses of literally billions of people will become, as Harari himself has put it, useless. So that's a pretty terrifying glimpse into our future. Um, but to get back to wokeness, the left's latest false narrative about the right is that we are waging a war on woke and that we use the word woke as a slur but don't even know how to define it. Well, this is ridiculous. Of course we know how to define it. Every conservative I know knows how to define wokeness. The simplest, most basic definition that I use is that wokeness is the state of awareness or enlightenment about social justice issues. That's the short answer. That's it. To elaborate on it a little, it's the embrace of the Marxist worldview that the world is divided between the oppressor class and the oppressed classes, and that if the oppressed classes, in other words, all the left's designated victim categories, if they unite and rise up to smash the status quo in the oppressor class, then we can eradicate all the power imbalances and economic inequities, racism and poverty, crime and homelessness, and create this utopian dream of a heaven on earth. In the article of mine that I mentioned earlier, I wrote about three random items in the news that make my point about how Christians are being increasingly marginalized and demonized in this society in which wokeness has now become the reigning religion. In the first example, the first item in the news I wrote about was, was about Minnesota State Rep. Heather Keeler, who happens to be a Democrat and a member of the Yankton Sioux Tribe in Minnesota. She complained on social media recently that she's sick and tired of, quote, white Christians, unquote, adopting Native American orphans and thereby perpetuating the genocide of Native Americans. That's right. The unhinged Keeler believes that white Christian parents are taking in Native American orphans not to give them a good home and a loving family prompted by Christian love and charity, but in order to exterminate the Native American race. Okay. And because Democrats in our current cultural climate never face consequences for openly expressing bigotry toward white people and Christians, not only did she not delete that post when she got a little bit of blowback, but she later doubled down on her professional Facebook page where she wrote that whites adopting Native American babies strips them of their identity, a process that she once again described as a form of genocide. In the second example from my article, I write about a school board in Arizona in the Phoenix area, which recently voted to cancel its contract with Arizona Christian University. That contract, which had been ongoing for five years or so, allowed student teachers from Arizona Christian University to practice teaching in the local public schools, thereby gaining some work experience and possibly opportunities for employment. But the LGBT members and their allies on the school board felt that the biblical worldview and Christian morality that the students of Arizona Christian University subscribed to made them feel unsafe, even though there had never been a single instance of one of these student teachers expressing any disapproval of the alphabet community or discriminating against anyone in any way. During the meeting in which the decision was made, school board member Tamilia Valenzuela, who describes herself as a bilingual, disabled, neurodivergent, queer black Latina, and who wore cat ears on her head during the meeting, 
painted a very ominous picture of the university's Christian beliefs. She wrote, quote, My concerns is when I go to Arizona Christian University's website, they are, quote, committed to Jesus Christ accomplishing his will and advancements on earth as in heaven, unquote. Well, in all fairness, I could see how that would be concerning to a woman who is committed to the woke dismantling of all the purportedly oppressive power structures of Western civilization, including its Judeo-Christian value system. She went on to say, Part of their values is to transform the culture with truth by promoting the biblically informed values that are foundational to Western civilization, including the centrality of family, traditional sexual morality, and lifelong marriage between one man and one woman, she read from their website. Yes, that definitely sounds extremist to me. She fretted that allowing in student teachers who are biblically minded doesn't, quote, make space for people who think differently and do not have the same beliefs, unquote. Did you catch the irony there? Anyway, she went on to say that the contract with Arizona Christian University made her feel unsafe. Some of her compatriots were similarly freaked out. Board member Kyle Clayton stated, I too echo what Ms. Valenzuela said when I looked into not only their core values, but the statement of faith, which they asked their students to sign and live by. Proselytizing is embedded into how they teach, and I just don't believe that that belongs in schools, unquote. Well, first of all, proselytizing is not embedded in how Arizona Christian University students teach. One woman who has taught in the school district for 27 years stated that, quote, the school board has no proof that a student teacher or teacher from Arizona Christian University has ever violated district policy, state, or federal policy regarding separation of church and state, unquote. Another longtime teacher in the district echoed that, saying, quote, there was no basis for the school board's concern and that nothing has happened that should have initiated the cancellation of the contract, unquote. Second, let's not pretend that Valenzuela and the members of the other left-dominated school boards across the country reject proselytizing in the classroom. They're perfectly happy to proselytize for the biological incoherence of gender ideology, the Marxist lies of critical race theory, the black supremacy of Black Lives Matter, the wealth distribution of socialism, the cult of climate change, and the racism of anti-racism. In fact, awakening students to social justice activism is their primary aim as woke educators. And they're perfectly willing to lie to their students' parents about all of it. In the third example from my article, a California schoolteacher was recently fired from her position because, as a Christian, she felt morally conflicted by, and in fact refused to abide by, the school district's policy to lie to the parents of any student who had expressed any kind of gender confusion or curiosity about sex reassignment surgery. Jessica Tapia, who worked at the Europa Unified School District, said, quote, according to my school district, students have privacy. And so if a student shares information regarding a pronoun preference or thinking there may be the opposite gender of what they biologically are, if they share that information with a teacher, we're supposed to keep that info from parents in case the parent doesn't know, unquote. She went on to say, we're talking about 12, 13, 14, 15-year-olds. I don't believe kids should have this privacy to where their parents are being left in the dark about some very pertinent information about their well-being. 
And she went on to say, I knew immediately, like in my gut, in my heart, in my soul, that there was a decision I had to make because, you know, these two things were totally butting heads, unquote. Tapia added also, I essentially had to pick one. Am I going to obey the district and the directive that are not lining up with my own beliefs, convictions, and faith? Or am I going to stay true, choose my faith, choose to be obedient to the way the Lord has called me to live? And so it was crazy to be in the position where I realized that I couldn't be a Christian and a teacher, unquote. In a notice from the Human Resources Department firing her, the district explicitly stated that the Christian commandment not to lie, in this case to children's parents, conflicted with their policy on the gender issue. And I believe Jessica Tapia is going to be suing them about that. The takeaway from all these recent examples of open anti-Christian bigotry is that Christians in America today occupy a stage of Christianity that the Protestant thinker Aaron Wren, R-E-N-N, has labeled negative world. Let me just take a moment to read to you how he breaks this down, this idea of the negative world. This is from an article of his from firstthings.com from about a year ago called The Three Worlds of Evangelicalism. He writes that, quote, Within the story of American secularization, there have been three distinct stages. Positive world. Society at large retains a mostly positive view of Christianity. To be known as a good church-going man remains part of being an upstanding citizen. Publicly being a Christian is a status enhancer. Christian moral norms are the basic moral norms of society, and violating them can bring negative consequences. So that's how he describes positive world. And then he describes neutral world as being a state in which society takes a neutral stance towards Christianity. Christianity is no longer privileged, nor is it disfavored. Being publicly known as a Christian has neither a positive nor a negative impact on one's social status. Christianity is considered a valid option within the pluralistic public square. And then you move down to negative world. In negative world, society has come to have a negative view of Christianity. Being known as a Christian is a social negative, particularly in the elite domains of society. Christian morality is expressly repudiated and seen as a threat to the public good and the new public moral order. Subscribing to Christian moral views or violating the secular moral order brings negative consequences. So that's how he describes, that's how Aaron Wren describes negative world. That's the reality which writers like Wren and Rod Dreher, who is the author of several books, including a couple I would definitely recommend, The Benedict Option and Live Not by Lies. Those authors have been warning that Christians must recognize the re new reality that anti-Christian wokeness is now the dominant worldview among our cultural elites. Wokeness, not Christianity, is the reigning mainstream religion. Maybe not in your neighborhood or across Main Street, USA, but it rules not only our current political administration, but all the cultural institutions, such as our schools and universities, our news media, the entertainment arena, the ad industry, seemingly every human resource department, even our corporations and many churches, too. And it's metastasizing like a cancer rapidly through the medical and legal fields where its impact will be terrifying and oppressive. Wokeness is a political religion 
that will have no other gods before it. So its rainbow banner of diversity and inclusion and tolerance is nothing but a cover for its lethal hostility toward the Christians that they say make them feel unsafe. You can see this especially in other countries in the Western world, not just the United States. And in fact, it's worse there than here because at least we have First Amendment protections that they don't have. You can be arrested, for example, in England for the thought crime of praying silently in your own mind across the street from an abortion clinic. But make no mistake, these totalitarians in America want to abolish our free speech and religious freedom so that they can drive Christians first from the public square, then exterminate them from the private sphere as well. Now, some conservatives confidently say, well, wokeness is on its way out, that it can't sustain itself, that the woke are already beginning to eat each other, that there is a conservative backlash coming and wokeness is going to collapse in the face of it like a house of cards. Well, I hope they're right, but I unfortunately think wokeness is deeply embedded in the culture and it's not going away anytime soon. In some areas, it's just gathering momentum like I mentioned before, in the medical schools and law schools. But Mark, you ask, I don't want to just sit here and be depressed. What can I do to push back against wokeness? Well, there are things I think you can do on three different levels, the political, the cultural, and the spiritual. On the political level, first of all, just vote. Get out and vote. When you look at the numbers of Republicans and conservatives who don't actually vote in elections, it's pretty shocking. And I can certainly understand why these days conservatives or Republicans feel that voting is pointless, because Democrats will simply cheat and steal the election. But the answer to that is not apathy or surrender, but quite simply getting out to vote in enough numbers that we overwhelm the cheating. Also, when you do vote, vote for conservative politicians who grasp the significance of the culture war and who are willing to fight back in that arena. It's not enough anymore for conservative politicians to simply champion the free market and limited government and Second Amendment rights and so on. Our side needs fighters who understand that everything begins with the culture and that we have to wield political power in that arena. I think Ron DeSantis in Florida is a perfect example of someone who knows how to get in there and fight in the culture war and succeed. But to rescue our country, we have to do more than just win elections. We have to be victorious in the broader conflict of competing cultural narratives. And that involves a whole other realm of activism in order to retake the culture and or create a parallel culture in which conservative culture makers and values can thrive. And that's something that I and many of my guests in the, at the Right Take podcast so far have talked about, especially guests like Andrew Clavin, Dinesh D'Souza, Michael Walsh, and others. And uh, maybe that will require another solo episode in which I pull all those ideas together. But meanwhile, here's what you can do spiritually. Because make no mistake, we are engaged in spiritual warfare. As it says in the book of Ephesians, and I've quoted this before, and no doubt will again, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. Friends, the day of evil is here. So first and foremost, speak the truth regardless of the cost. And that's no small thing because these days speaking the truth can cost you your job, 
your career, it can cost you some friends, maybe even family members. So it's no small thing. But as Rod Dreher put it in the title of his book, Live Not By Lies, Do Not Accept or Submit to the Left's Propaganda, that this country was founded on racism, that systemic racism is a thing, that whiteness is a thing, that a man can be a woman, that patriotism is just white nationalism, that war is peace, freedom is slavery, and ignorance is strength, as George Orwell put it, stand up to their lies and propaganda, speak the truth. The writer Theodore Dalrymple said that the purpose of propaganda is not to persuade or convince or to inform, but to humiliate Because when people are being told the most obvious lies and forced to remain silent about them, or they're forced to repeat the lies themselves, they lose their sense of integrity and righteousness. And their ability to resist anything is eroded and destroyed. So speak the truth. It will inspire others to speak it also, because courage is contagious. It will take serious political, cultural, and spiritual will to reverse the collapse of our civilization and our declining faith. As my friend the writer Michael Walsh says, the left never stops. They never sleep. They never give up. Well, we have to do the same. We have to be as passionate and relentless about saving our country and our way of life as they are about fundamentally transforming it. Thanks for meeting me here at the intersection of politics and culture. Please don't forget to subscribe, and if you like what you hear, please leave a review. Until next time... I'm Mark Tapson, and this has been The Right Take Podcast. The Right Take with Mark Tapson is a project of the David Horowitz Freedom Center and Front Page Magazine. Unauthorized reproduction of this podcast without express written consent is prohibited.